Wow, my my post is just great. 50, 104 likes. What a what a banger. <laughs> 104. Thanks, Instagram. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest nude readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're talking about our February Books on the Radar. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. How are you? I'm good. The sun came out today. Oh, that's good. I knew you were happy (laughs) to see it. I was really happy. It makes a really big difference. I don't think we have seen the sun for about, I don't know, it could have been at least two weeks or more. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. We We have sun, but it's freezing freezing cold today, which is brutal. And it's getting, it's going to get worse. My One of my students is from India and she was like, <laughs> we were trying to do the conversion to Fahrenheit to Celsius. And she was like, wait a minute, is that, and she was like doing the conversion. I'm tr- garbage with like figuring out the difference. And she was like, oh my God, I don't think I've ever felt zero in my entire life. No, she's like, I've never felt negative 32 in my whole life. I'm like, well, buckle up. It's, it's <laughs> there's, you just endure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to yeah. say. Yes, because you have the wind too, right? Yeah. Is it always windy? No, I mean, it's windy, no. but yeah, I think it's that's a misconception about Chicago. It's oh. because of our windy politicians who talk a lot, not the wind. But we do get a lot of wind <laughs> chill too from the lake. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's our Midwest weather update. Midwest weather update. And sometimes we just have to, it's like we say every every time we, we talk about it, it's so prominent because Winter is so prominent in the Midwest that you just can't help Mm -hmm. but talk about it. But I have something to share for my loving lately. Okay. And it's actually, you kind of know about it, but I had so much fun this week doing something I don't typically do regularly, which is watch mindless TV. And I did that this week. And I'm not talking about The Bachelor because I also did that, (laughs) which is mindless TV. But I really, really binged another show, and it is Love Island on Netflix. I binged it the entire season, which was a lot, but I had the best time. Now, Love Island, this season one was set in Fiji. I don't know when they filmed it because actually it rained a lot, but it was really pretty, and it's a really pretty setting. You have initially five women and five guys that end up coupling up. And they have to choose each other. It's a very similar to Bachelor in Paradise, if you watch that. But um, in my opinion, a better TV show. I really enjoyed just getting to know the people and seeing who was going to potentially find love. I do think that in the end, I'm like a hopeless romantic with these types of shows. I really hope that somebody finds love. And with this show, I actually believed that they would. Um, this is There's not backstabbing on this show, like The Bachelorette or Bachelor in Paradise. There's not manufactured drama. 
the people were really respectful of each other. It was really, uh, it was a breath of fresh air from watching shows like The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise for years. I loved it. I am going to be on to season two. And what I really also love was giving myself permission to just say, I'm going to sit and enjoy this. And maybe I'm going to watch five episodes right in a row and not or you know and I'm just gonna take a little reading break. I didn't also have an AirPod on. I didn't have my Kindle in front of me. <laughs> I just watched TV and that's kind of something fun and unusual for me. So that was Love Island on Netflix. Yes. And you enticed me. I started a couple episodes and very early. So it was early days. But I'm like, you know what? If you say it's better than Bachelor in Paradise, like I'll I have to take a look. I have to. Yeah. So I yes. thought it was because of the reasons I said with the the lack of backstabbing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they actually had conversations with each other. They were How honest novel. about isn't that <laughs> novel? They didn't go they didn't go behind each other's back. They said it to the the other person's face. Mm-hmm. Plus I really I did like the commentary. It would have it reminded me of of like the really snappy funny people uh, on Twitter who are live tweeting during The Bachelor mm, and Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. Like if the funniest of those people were in charge of commentating on <laughs> Love Island, that's what it reminded me of. You're talking about the announcer that I hated? The announcer guy, the commentator. Yeah, yeah. He reminds you, I know me of, he bugged you in Oh initially. my gosh. Yeah, I'm still not turning around. It's like, today's couples, we're going to find out who among us. Like he's just got a funny, like, it's like so cheesy the way that he talks. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's like... Now that I know it's meant to be laughed at, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll it like come around. Because yeah. I had no idea what to expect. I'm like, wait, what are we watching here? Like, they just like s- like sleep in the same bed? Like, I- I'm very confused <laughs> about what I'm seeing <laughs> with my eyeballs. It's bizarre. It's, it's entertaining. Little, it's and they're also always in swimsuits, like 24-7, pretty much. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. as they one are, does. They are a lot. But you just haven't gotten into the party no. nights and all that. No, no, They'll no. I know up. nothing. Yeah. I just scratched mm-hmm. the surface. So I, yeah. I'm, you know, reserving judgment for a few more episodes. My Loving Lately is an app. It's called Vivino. And this app is for all of you wine drinkers. And if you're anything like me, you like wine, but you kind of have decision paralysis when it comes to picking out a bottle. I don't have like one go-to Whenever somebody's like, oh, what kind of wine do you like? I'm like, all of it. I mean, really, (laughs) there's not very much. I don't like super sweet, but like in general, I will drink Mm -hmm. a wide variety. But Vivino, the app, helps you choose wines based on what you normally like to drink. It also gives you the notes. It gives you a ton of information. The way that I use the app is whenever I have a new bottle, you take a picture of it. And it imports the information about the wine based on the picture of the label And I love it because it gives you the average rating and there's millions of users who like come together and like provide reviews of these wines. So it's like you get the average rating, their normal price range, the region the wine is from, and like the taste profile, which I thought is so fun. You also can leave your own notes. So I'll leave a note about where I got the bottle or where I was drinking it. Like, oh, I drank this at, you know, this restaurant or it was for this occasion. And you can also buy wine 
directly through the app and they seem to have some decent sales. Now that I'm saying this, I'm like, it's kind of like Goodreads for wine. Like it really feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I more or less just use it as my wine journal because again, I'm like, and it's fun because now I can scroll back. I got it in 2018. I was like, I remember where I was. I was at this restaurant with these two friends. Like one friend told me about it. Like it was cool to have that memory associated with it. So I use it as my wine journal, but if you want to become more experienced with wine drinking or want to know more about it, this could be a great starting point. And this is the app, Vivino. Awesome. And is that free? Mm-hmm. Yep. Free app. Oh, oh yeah. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, free app. good. That's a great one. And there's a website oh. too. So if you happen to Google it, their website's pretty robust as well. And they have blog posts and like other information. And again, you can buy wine through there, which I didn't even know until today. I was like, oh gosh, they're having a sale, 15% off. I'm like, hmm. But yeah, I was like, okay, let's close that browser. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to mess around over there. <sighs> oh gosh. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. I love fun apps. You just, there's, there's so many useful apps out there. Mm-hmm. For real. My latest read, I'll tell you, I've been on a mood and I told you about it a little bit the other day, but I've been in, looking for books that involve friendship, but also I was coming off of like White Lotus. So I was also looking for a book that involved, you know, a different setting, Italian setting would have been great. And I found it in this one and it's called Out of Her Depth by Lizzie Barber. And I did a combination of audio and print, and the audio was fine. I think I ended up leaning a little bit more towards reading on my Kindle, but I alternated. And this is about two friends who meet in Italy, and it's set in Florence. It's set over a summer, and you have Rachel and Diana. Now, Rachel is a girl who has gotten a scholarship to Cambridge to study languages, The summer before college, she takes a job working in Florence at Villa Medici. And if that doesn't remind you of like the hotel, the White Lotus and the description, it is very grand. It's surrounded by manicured gardens. It is what there are wealthy clients. There's glamorous people. The sun is always shining. And so she cannot wait to go and work at this hotel. Diana is also working there, and the the two girls meet and kind of strike up a friendship. Now, Diana comes from a very wealthy background. She ends up drawing Rachel into her circle of privileged young sophisticates. Little by little, you know, when Usually when a group of girls are involved, there's going to be some guys that come into the picture, and that is what happens. There is a handsome young man named Sebastian. Both the girls kind of end up interested in him. And I don't want to say too much more about the plot, but this does go from past to present. And here's what's interesting about the present timeline And you find this out right away because it starts off with the present timeline. Sebastian is getting ready to get out of prison. His conviction for something has been overturned. And this, in present day, makes Rachel very, very uneasy. And that, I will tell you, pulled me right into the story. Because, of course, I had to know what happened all those years ago when 
these girls were friends. I really, really like this. It's billed as an atmospheric thriller. I would not say the the pace was thriller pace. I would say it is more of a slow burn psychological suspense with a few times of thrills. There's a few bits of thrills and a few bits of mystery. There's a definite mystery because what happened all those years ago? Why was he in prison? And what's going to happen when he gets out? Because people want to interview him. He has a story to tell. And I was dying to find out what that story was. My biggest criticism with the story had to do with this back and forth structure of the timelines. And sometimes in the past timeline, when they were young, it got bogged down. Only sometimes, but it was noticeable because the way that she writes, it's very atmospheric. If you want Italian setting details, you want to know the flowers, you want to know what they're drinking, you which I did. I really enjoyed all of that. She will put you right in an Italian summer. And it, at times just felt like, okay, all right, let's move move on from the setting details. That's really my biggest criticism. I liked it a lot. I was surprised by what happened. So if you're at all intrigued, I say give this a try. It's Out of Her Depth by Lizzie Barber. Nice. Okay. I love when you have like a very specific reader mood and you're able to find a I'm book you. that matches up with yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't always articulate what I'm in the mood for, but I, it's like I know it when I see it kind of thing. So I can't wait to tell you guys about my latest read. It is Mame by Jessica George. And technically, this is not my latest read. It was the first book I finished in 2023, and I rated it five stars. Yay. It's an amazing book. And it publishes today, January 31st. And I highly recommend that you get your hands on it. I listened to this one. The narrator was incredible. Her name is Heather Agepong, and I looked her up. It's her first audiobook. I'm like, wait, this oh. is a debut, a first audiobook wow. narrator. I love to see it. And this is about Maddie. She's a 25-year-old British Ghanaian woman living in London, and she's the primary caregiver for her dad. He has Parkinson's, and so she spends a lot of time at home, making sure that he's tended to, and she's pursuing this career that she's not crazy about, but it's paying the bills. Unfortunately, a lot of the responsibility falls on her shoulders because her mom spends time between London and Ghana, and because she still has some sort of business ties over there, and her brother, he's kind of doing his own thing. So really, she is the only one responsible, and she is the one kind of in charge of her family. And the book starts as Maddie is finally able to take a leap and she moves out of the family home and tries to start her own life and find out really who she is because she has not yet had that opportunity. And she makes new friends and starts going out a little bit on her own when unfortunately tragedy strikes and it makes her reevaluate everything. I cannot say enough about how much I loved this book. A comp for it would be Queenie by Candace Carty-Williams. But I liked Mame even more. And I truly cannot think of one bad thing to say about it. I thought Maddie and some of the other side characters felt very real. There are real issues here. And it's not all issues. There's a lot of exploration. It's sometimes fun. It's funny. There's like some humor built in there as well. 
And not everything, you know, not all of the areas of her life are resolved with like this neat bow, which I think is, you know, pretty typical for for real life. She's just a real woman finding her own way. And I was rooting for her the entire time. I love the exploration of Maddie's culture and her relationship with her mom. They had a very interesting relationship. This book is the perfect quarter-life crisis book. Like, definitely for folks that want that sort of reading experience. It's about putting yourself out there, about finding yourself. And this book made me cry. So I know, Renee, you like that. Yeah. Now, be sure to check trigger warnings if you're curious. Specific scenes could be upsetting to some readers, but I didn't think it was overly graphic in one way or another. I have to say, I, I, yeah, I do think this is going to be one of the books on my best of 2023 list. And I'm so excited. It was Mame by Jessica George. Wow. And you don't cry a lot in books. No, no, I don't. I sure don't. Mm -hmm. Not really. So this one was a good one. This one got me. You know what I'm saying that now? It's only, God, it's like three weeks later. I'm like, why did I cry? I can't remember exactly, (laughs) but I know that I did (laughs) because I wrote it down. And this one, I'm definitely going to get a hardcover copy for or like a physical copy because I listened to all of it. I didn't have like a physical arc for it, but I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go back and like underline and highlight specific parts. Oh, nice. Okay, good. It's a great way to start off January. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. For for today, for book talk, Renee was actually having an interesting conversation with friend of the show, Michelle. At begins mm-hmm. and ends with books. And they were talking about different genres and what these different genres mean. And so, of course, you know how Renee's a mind works. We thought, okay, <laughs> let's talk, let's do some research and really figure out. I couldn't believe. So, you found this article from Oprah Daily, and there are 50 genres in total. Well, yes. I ended up combining two articles within oh, our notes. Okay. Yeah. The Oprah Daily one was 21 genres. Mm-hmm. The other one with 50 genres, I didn't even take all of them. Mm-hmm. That was from Readsy, Readsy Discovery. And I can link to both of those because the Readsy one really goes into depth if you really like quite a bit. If you ask me right now what the 50 genres are without looking at the notes, I would probably fail that. Yeah. Quiz because 50? Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. And then I think too, some of them are mashups. Like you could have like a literary thriller, you can have a crime novel that's historical fiction. So I have a hard time with defining genre because I'm like, well, there's elements of each, right? So like I think we were talking about this in our Discord. One of the genres is LGBT books. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but is that a genre or is it like almost like a tag, right? Because it's like, it can be an LGBT book, but also a literary novel or thriller or, you know, there's el- yeah. there's a lot of overlap, I think. Right. That's very true. And Michelle was asking me, and that's what brought it up. The book that I brought a couple weeks ago, Road Ends by uh, Mary Lawson. She was asking me because there is a, a present day timeline that is very like literary fiction. And then there's a past timeline that's historical. So which, oh. so what genre is it? Yeah. And I don't know. I was yeah. I said that's a great question. When you have two very distinct timelines, I don't know if which one would it fall in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Could be both. Maybe it yeah. is. Yeah. And that's why I don't like tracking genre. 
<laughs> because <laughs> unless someone does it for me, like Storygraph will tell you like how they tag their books or whatever. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't want to be the one in charge because I will 100% overthink it. Like, is it memoir or biography? Or is it, you know, and I know that some of these genres, there's distinct meanings, but I'm like, it doesn't matter to me personally enough to really get that nuance because I feel like mm-hmm. I overthink it because I'm like, well, what's literary? What does that mean, right? So we wanted to share just a couple. I mean, we have a list that, you know, like we said, there's some people that say 20, there's 50, there's 100. Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends on who you ask, I think, for sure. I think, you know, one of them, and this is an interesting genre, is classics, right? So Mm -hmm. these typically have been around for decades. And at the time of their publishing, they were often groundbreaking stories and continue to be impactful for generations and serve as foundational work uh, for many popular books we read today. And I'm like, hold on a minute, though. Like, at what point do we start adding to classics? Like, when? You know, like, I think I've heard, oh, this book could be a modern classic. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I don't know, Homegoing by Yajasi could be, like, considered a modern classic. But I wonder how long how how long does a book have to be around for it to start being considered classic that's a great yeah that is a great question cuz we think like okay dickens we think austen like of course books mm-hmm. that have been around for for ages but i'm like you know i think there's there's got to be i don't know there's a time limit there right because i also think books that i had to read in high school which was many many years ago they feel like classics yeah <laughs> um i don't know that they would be considered but Yeah. I mean, I don't, that's a great question on the timeline. It's like maybe one of those things, you know, it when you see it, like, oh, this is a classic Mm -hmm. and I don't read a ton of classics at all. So, and oh, also listeners, we are not English majors. I think that bears repeating. We are just two people that love to read and we're basing a lot of this on our own research and like what we've known as lifelong readers. Mm -hmm. And another area that I, and this is me, I've actually made up my own genre I call it the TMS, and those are also my initials, but thriller, (laughs) mystery, suspense, because I don't want to be the one who says, oh, this is a thriller, not suspense. This is mystery, not thriller. Like, TMS. This is what what the genre is, (laughs) because I just can't be held responsible for you coming back and saying, I didn't think this was a thriller. So that's kind of how Mm. I encompass it, but there are definite distinctions between, like, detective and mystery. Right. I think that is pretty clear. That's more, could be cozy, could be hard-boiled. It's like, okay, there's a mystery. There has to be a mystery in a mystery. But then I go, I go to it. Okay, well, there was mysteries in like literary, literary books. And like, you know, there was like Mm -hmm. a, a mystery at the center. So is that a mystery book? Well, yeah, I think if there is, I know that's crazy. I think if there is a mystery, if someone is trying to solve a puzzle, the plot revolves around some sort of puzzle solving, whether then it's a mystery. And it could be, and I even I even call certain books literary mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if that's an actual subgenre, but Why I not? say that. I don't know. I, I don't know. But the no, reason right. I say some, yeah. Oh, you mean like why I, not? I agree. Like why not? Yeah. I mean, there's all <laughs> yeah. sorts of genres. Well, I always say that. And what I mean by that is the writing sometimes is so elevated and eloquent Mm -hmm. and beautiful. Also, you may really get to dive deep into a character. And 
that usually is is more literary fiction. Mm-hmm. But if there's a mystery in the book, then I call it a literary mystery. Yeah. And <laughs> and I'm not the only one that says that, but I think that's how I make the distinction in my mind. And I also do the same thing for literary thrillers. Yeah, same. Literary thriller or suspense is some of my absolute favorite mm-hmm. subgenre. Literary fiction, according to the definition, alleged, you know, according to this article, is it's a broad genre. They acknowledge that. But it refers to the perceived artistic writing style of the author. Their prose is meant to evoke deep thought through stories that offer personal or social commentary on a particular theme. And lit fic typically is heavier on character, lighter on plot. So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can kind of see that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'm going to muddy the waters further (laughs) into a genre (laughs) that really bugs me. And I can't just tell you why. And that is that of women's fiction. Mm Because then I think, okay, well, why do we, you know, it it just, I know, obviously, I think women's fiction is written specifically to target female readers. But I also think there's this like negative connotation with that, that it's like a fluffier read, that it can't Mm -hmm. be literary, right? You know, and that the writing maybe is more, I don't know if it's simple or or if it's more accessible. I'm not sure. But women's fiction is one where I'm always like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know if I, I, yeah. I rarely, rarely do I quantify a book that I read as women's fiction, even if it might be. Mm-hmm. Same. I don't either. I usually end up, unless it's a book entirely of with men as characters, which is rare, I, I tend to think of most of those books as contemporary fiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's what, if I am going to track it, that is what I would call it. Yep. I don't know. I feel it. I feel like women's fiction used to be chiclet and got renamed yes. a bit to women's yeah. fiction. Yeah. And I still don't understand why there is a genre of called women's fiction when we don't have. There's no genre of men's fiction. Well, well, I think yeah, probably it's maybe a relic from when there were more male authors where it was like okay, you know, now let's like give the women a little section of the library and here are the books that you get. But I think now, and and certainly I don't know the numbers, but I feel like it's definitely 50-50 if not. And it could just be my reading. <laughs> I feel like I read way more right. female authors than male. So I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what the purpose of that genre is. And I would be curious to know if you are a bookstore owner or work at a bookstore, if that is a section that is in your bookstore, I feel like I'm going to try and pay attention now that I'm, mm-hmm. you know, now when I'm doing my visits, because I think you're right. I see a lot of contemporary fiction and I often mm-hmm. categorize my books that way. That's when books are taking place in the present day. And then this article said, in its simplest form, contemporary fiction is better understood as the absence of a genre, where it's just kind of, you know, normal, quote unquote, things mm. that you're experiencing in today's world. But then at a certain point, right, it would turn into historical fiction. Yeah. Because it would age. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, too, I don't think there's enough sections at the bookstore. I think they're all, <laughs> yeah. I think, wouldn't it be nice if all of these were sections at the bookstore? But yeah. I know there's a mystery and thriller, you know, there's the biggie the nonfiction and all of that. But now that I'm looking at all of these possibilities Mm -hmm. and reading like about them, that might be, that would be kind of fun to, to walk into a bookstore and have it be even like broken down a little bit more specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, and then I think we know what, I think memoirs are pretty, so we know what those are. They're pretty self-explanatory. 
And underneath that would be biography or autobiography, which the, the, I had learned that this year. The only, like the real difference between an autobiography and a memoir is a memoir can, can cover just a specific time. And mm-hmm. then autobiography is the whole life or yeah. life up until a certain point. So I'm glad I learned that last year. Here's an interesting fun fact, which you probably know, I wonder, but or we could quiz the listeners a bit. What is, what is currently the hottest nonfiction genre? I'm going to say today it is self-help. No. Is it Food o- and drink. I would have never gotten that in a hundred guesses. Pardon me. <laughs> Food and drink. <laughs> really? Is the is Are you sure? one of nonfiction's hottest huh. book genres? Great, as of current recently. That's super currently. cool. Per this article, it it is a very competitive market in the nonfiction mm. category. Oh, that's fun. See, I love that though because there, you know you can be as steeped into the book world as you and I are, and still find out new things. There's still absolute mm-hmm. pockets of the book world that we have no knowledge of or very limited knowledge of. So that's a fun, that's a fun find. I would never have guessed that. My other guess was going to be, and then I stopped myself because I was like autobiography or memoir. I was thinking about Prince Harry's book specifically, mm, but I think yeah. his would be autobiography then based on that definition. I think so. You're right. It would be based on the definition, but mm-hmm. they're calling it a memoir. Exactly. Right. Which is why I think colloquially memoir is what people say. But if you want to mm-hmm. get you know specific about it, it's probably yeah. autobiography. Well, I'm kind of excited about the food and drink because, yeah. because last year I read Notes from a Young Black Chef mm-hmm. by Kwame Anwache. And now I feel like that I want more restaurant memoirs. Yeah. Like his was really memoirs. good. His was so good. It was so good. So maybe that means we're going to get more. Yeah, I would be down. I haven't read one quite as good as Kwame's. I did read Eat a Peach by David Chang, and I quite liked that, but it wasn't as like, oh, Kwame's was really, really good for good. me. So yeah, but I would love more. I still need to read. I know there's female chefs. Like I still need to like locate a few and read those. I've read like one or two. Oh my gosh, I need more of those. Maybe yeah. under women's fiction. <laughs> oh no, that would be nonfiction. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I don't know. Maybe we maybe that helped clarify some genres, or yeah. maybe it just made it more confusing. Made but- it more confusing, I know. But just know that you're not alone if you're kind of thinking, all right, which one is this? I do love genre mashups. I feel like we should do an episode on some genre mashups just for fun and like really mm. kind of dig into that. Yes, I definitely want to do that. I also wanted to make a point. I saw an article and I, gosh, I should have like screenshotted it to send to you, but it was, I can't remember the source, but it said, oh, by the way, the 90s are historical fiction now. So just as a rule of thumb, the 90s are historical fiction, which is okay. That's not a bad thing. I'll tell you what really- How determine that? Because it was, because it was- Yeah, it's got to have a cutoff somewhere. Got to have a cutoff somewhere. So hopefully that was interesting to you. I love, you know, we love a good definition. We love to try and figure things out. But know that if you are a little bit confused on genre, we are probably a little bit as well. But do you want to dive into your first book? Yes. Yes. I I do know what genre this, my first (laughs) book is. I know this for a fact. (laughs) I need to tell you about 
The Last Orphan, which is coming February 14th by Greg Hurwitz. And this is straight up thriller. I'm bringing this to you. This is book eight. And I don't, I, I know I said when I brought Dark Horse, which was his book seven, to my top reads of 2022, I said, don't discount it. And I'm saying it again, listening, like, if you are in the mood for a thriller series, this is another reminder for me to give this a try. I'm definitely going to read this. So you're probably going to hear about it again. I had been waiting on the audio, which I got. Thank you, Macmillan Audio, because Scott Brick narrates and he is fantastic. And this book is about Evan Smoke. And Evan was taken out of a group home um, when he was an orphan and trained to be an off-the-books assassin. And that, you find out a lot about that in book one, which is Orphan X. And then he ended up working in that program, which was called the Orphan Program, for the government. It was very, very secret, deep secret. Things happened. And eventually, Evan left the program. That is not a spoiler because you know that things happen um, in the series. And he goes out and goes on his own, which is what happened in Dark Horse. And then when people call him, he has like, his number is like 1-800-NOWHERE. <laughs> and he, he makes it his mission to help people in need. And he that was his rule. He only helps people in need, in dire, like dire need. So of course, very people are having very dramatic problems and he goes in to help. In this book, this new book, Evan has up until now always been several steps ahead of the people that also want to take him down. Because of course, he's made a lot of enemies and there's one very specific enemy that he has made over the years. And he's always been ahead until now. He makes a mistake. Oh. And this particular, yeah, in this book, you want to, I'm going to tell you who the enemy is because again, it's not a spoiler. The enemy is the president of the United States. And so in this story, the president is going to offer Evan a deal he has to eliminate a certain rich, powerful man that she, the president is a woman in this story, she says is too dangerous to live. And in turn, she will let Evan survive. So we have to find out what is going to happen. I can't wait to find out. Like I said, this is an action thriller. But what Greg Hurwitz does so well, he does give you enough information and I'm sure, I'm confident he will do it in this book because he did it in Dark Course. He gives you enough information that if you don't want to go back to the book one, you don't have to. You can you can get into the story and you can get to know Evan. You just won't know, obviously, as much as you would know if you've read the other books. But Evan is a great character. There's some side characters that I would imagine will be back. And it's it's thrills he is so smart. I cannot wait to read this. Um, if you like technology, if you like dark web, if you like just secrets, but you like a really, really smart protagonist, then um, you would love Evan Smoke. So that was The Last Orphan by Greg Hurwitz. I'm glad you brought that. I know that's one of your favorite series. And yes, 
I love a good thriller, but I'm like, uh, you know, I can't jump in with book eight, but you're telling us we can. I'm assuming so. I mean, I haven't read this yet, but Dark Horse was book seven. And I I still stand by the fact that, yes, you can do that. And mm-hmm. I, someone asked me about it, and I think that they were going to jump in and do that, and they were fine doing it. Good. Yeah. He, he does a really good job. You know, very experienced authors who write series, they can they do do that. They can yeah. give you just enough, but it's a series worth reading. Nice. So, All right. yeah. Well, we have a sharp left into um, a book that comes out on February 7th called End Papers by Jennifer Saverin Kelly. And this is her debut. This one initially got me because of the cover. The cover's really, really good. And this one is a character-driven story. I gather it's going to be more literary fiction. It's LGBT. And it's set in 2003 in New York City. Dawn Levitt is the protagonist, and she's kind of describing herself as stuck. She works at a bookbinder and works in conservation at the Met. And a lot of her free time is spent scouting the city, looking for art, and trying to get inspiration. But she's feeling pretty um, run down and feeling like, Art is not the only thing in her life that feels wrong. Her gender identity is really kind of at the center of this story. She's finding that it's clashing with the other elements of her life. Her relationship, once was anchored by a shared queerness, is falling apart as her boyfriend Lucas increasingly seems to only be attracted to Dawn when she's at her most masculine. And at work, it's the opposite. She has to present more as female, even on days when that doesn't feel um, in alignment with who she, what she's feeling. And either way, she's just not feeling comfortable on either side. And then at one day at work, she finds something hidden in the end paper of an old book. And it's a torn off cover of a lesbian pulp novel, Turn Her About. And on the front is this illustration of a woman looking in a mirror and seeing a man's face. And on the back is a love letter. So she's like, wait a minute. I got to figure, I need to know more. What's going on in here? So she becomes obsessed with tracking down the notes author. And then something goes on in her personal life. And she starts to like feel responsible for this person's uh, misfortune. And basically, she's trying to figure out how to live in a world that doesn't see her as she truly is and really how to define that. So it's really interesting. She's really connected to this um, letter and feels like it could help her find some answers. Again, the cover sucked me in, but I stayed for the plot. I like that sort of little hidden historical who wrote this letter, what's she going to find out? And I've been loving novels lately that explore identity, including gender identity. So I want to see where this goes. And the author uses she, her, they, them pronouns. So I think it's, you know, she's got some experience that she's drawing from when she wrote this. And this was End Papers by Jennifer Saverin Kelly. Okay. All right. I'm very excited about my Next pick, it is called The Last Tale of the Flower Bride by Roshani Chakshi. All right, comes out February 14th. First, the cover is stunning, and that's actually what drew me to it. And then I'll tell you, I'll tell you the comp later, um, which was very interesting. But this is about a man and a, a mysterious woman. And the the opening sentence just really drew me in. So I do, I, I want to say it because it says, once upon a time, a man who believed in fairy tales married a beautiful, mysterious woman named Indigo Maxwell Castaneda. And he was a scholar of myths. She was an heiress to a fortune, 
they fell in love, they got married, and they believed they would live happily ever after. However, in exchange for her love, Indigo made her husband promise that he would never pry into her past. You know, that's probably not going to last. So then Indigo learns that her estranged aunt is dying. So she and her husband head back to her childhood home called the House of Dreams. Of course, when they get there, her husband finds it really hard to resist what sounds like a bit of snooping because in the shadows of the halls, there's extravagant rooms and he gets wind of or somehow figures out that within the shadows, there is the memory of a girl, Indigo's dearest childhood friend named Azure. And Azure had suddenly disappeared years ago. So as the story goes on, the house will slowly reveal his wife's secrets and he will be forced to choose between reality and fantasy, even if doing so threatens to destroy their marriage or their lives. Now, this is being billed as spellbinding and a darkly romantic page-turner about love and lies, secrets and betrayal, and the stories we tell ourselves to survive. I absolutely love the sound of that. It's a gothic-infused story. And the comp, okay, here's the twister for the comp. It's for fans of Mexican Gothic. If you liked the haunting atmosphere of Mexican Gothic and the dreamy enchantment of the invisible life of Addie LaRue, I did not in any way, shape, or form like Mexican Gothic, but I loved the invisible life of Addie LaRue. So we'll see how this works out, but I do love the sound of this. It's The Last Tale of the Flower Bride by Roshani Chakshi. All right. Well, you have to report back on that. I will. All right. Next for me, The Writing Retreat by Julia Bartz comes out on February 21st. And this one's another debut. And similar to you, the comps for me, I loved. It is The Plot meets Please Join Us, which I thought, gosh, that sounds so fun. It's a psychological suspense, and it's about a young author who goes on this exclusive writer's retreat that descends into a nightmare. And Alex is the main character, and she's all but given up on her dreams of becoming a published author until she receives this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to attend an exclusive month-long writing retreat at the estate of feminist horror writer Rosa Vallow. Even the knowledge that Rin, her former best friend and current rival, is attending doesn't dampen her excitement, which I love. I love a good rivalry. I'm like, wait, why are you former best friends? What happened? The attendees start to arrive, and Rosa drops the next bombshell. They all must complete an entire novel from scratch during the next month, and the author of the best one will receive a life-changing seven-figure publishing deal. What a fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. a fun, fun in theory, it. fun in theory. Um, so, of course, Alex tries to buckle down and get it done, and she's ignoring things that are strange that are taking place, including Rosa's erratic behavior, the mind games, and allegedly maybe the mansion might be haunted. But then one of the writers vanishes, and so she's like, okay, you know what? I think this is more sinister than I anticipated. So she becomes desperate to figure out what's going on, 
I have heard amazing things about this book. Mm -hmm. I want it in my hands. I love the cover. I want it. It's The Writing Retreat by Julia Bartz. It comes out on uh, February 21st. Yeah, I want to read that too. It sounds good. Okay, my next book is We Should Not Be Friends by Will Schwab comes out February 21st. So this is set over the course of 40 years. And I love a book set over decades. Mm -hmm. And this is a true story about Will's relationship with a friend he met at college. So when he was a junior in college, he was kind of hanging out mostly with the theater people, with writers, with visual artists, and complet majors, and had his own close social group. He knew exactly who he wanted to avoid, the jocks. The jocks wore baseball caps. They moved in packs. And Will felt like if he encountered one, it might be at his own peril. And all of this changed very dramatically when Will collided with Chris Maxey, known to just about everyone as Maxey. And he was physical, imposing, loud, and a star wrestler who was determined to become a Navy SEAL, where he would end up serving later for six years. So thanks to the strangely liberating circumstances of a little-known secret society at Yale, the two ended up forging a bond that became very important to each other and the mainstay of each other's lives as they repeatedly lost and found each other over the next many years. So this book is set, it goes from New Haven to New York City, from Hong Kong and Panama to a remarkable school on an island in the Bahamas. They are going to talk, go through marriages, divorces, triumphs, and devastating losses. And this is going to be their story about an extraordinary friendship set over decades and about challenges and changes and about how if we can just get past our preconceptions, we may find some of our greatest friends. And I love the sound of that. Danny Shapiro blurbed it and said, it is beautifully written in a generous book. You'll find yourself thinking of your own friendships. And that was We Should Not Be Friends by Will Schwab. Oh, I like that. I like a secret society too. I've never, I don't know if I've read very many, like I like the idea of a secret society in college that, yeah. that caught my ear. All right. Next for me is my most anticipated for the month. This is, I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. And this is about a successful film professor and podcaster, Bodie Kane. She is content to forget her past, and she had a family tragedy that marred her adolescence. So she's ready to move on. She had these four miserable years at a New Hampshire boarding school. While she was there, her her roommate got murdered in the spring of their senior year. So even though the circumstances surrounding her roommate's death and the conviction of the school's athletic trainer are hotly debated online, Bodhi prefers to let sleeping dogs lie. I'm like, okay, what do you know, Bodhi? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the Granby School, the school she graduated from, invites her back to teach a course. And she is drawn to the case and its increasingly apparent flaws. And in their rush to convict the athletic trainer, did the school and police overlook other suspects? And is the real killer still out there? So she falls down a rabbit hole. 
and begins to wonder if she wasn't as much of an outsider as she'd thought, and maybe if back in 1995, she knew something that might have held the key to solving a case. Excuse me, this sounds so mm-hmm. flipping good. I would call this a literary mystery, right? It kind of sounds like that. It does sound like it. And I'm excited because Rebecca Mackay, I loved her from The Great Believers. And I don't know, this is, I think, her book directly after that. So she hasn't had mm-hmm. a book come out in quite some time. So I can't wait. It's I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. Yep, that's on my TBR too. It sounds so good. All right. My last book is probably right up there with The Last Orphan as what I'm excited to read in February. And it's Go as a River by Shelley Reed. It comes out February 28th. And this is a debut and it is a debut that is getting some really good buzz. And it's also inspired by true events uh, that happened in the 1960s. And it's about 17-year-old Victoria Nash. And she runs the household on her family's peach farm in a small ranch town of Colorado. She is also the sole surviving female in a family of troubled men. Then we have another character, and his name is Wilson Moon, and he is a young drifter with a mysterious past, and he has been displaced from his tribal land and determined to live as he chooses. And one day, Victoria will encounter Will by chance on a street corner, and that meeting will profoundly alter both of their lives. And I love when a story is set up like that. Not only will their lives be altered, but unknowingly passion as well as danger will be ignited. And then at some point, tragedy will strike and Victoria will end up leaving the only life she has ever known. She will flee to the mountains and there she will try to to forge her own life. It sounds like time goes on. She has to live in the harsh landscape, and she struggles to find the meaning and strength to move forward. And at the same time that this is happening, the Gunnison River is threatening to submerge her entire homeland, all the ranches, all the farms, and the beloved peach orchard that has been in her family for generations. So this is ultimately a story about finding courage, resilience, friendship, and home where it's least expected, and it's billed as a stunning debut about what it means to lead your life as if it were a river. And also, it's it's blurbed as a heartbreaking coming-of-age story, a tragic and uplifting novel of love and loss. So I really, really like the sound of that. Bonnie Garmus, who wrote Lessons in Chemistry, said that this book is a force of nature, completely unforgettable. Mm. So I love the sound of it. It's Go as a River by Shelley Reed. All right. Let's keep it moving. We've got, finally, I have Time's Undoing by Cheryl Head. This one comes out on February 28th. And you have a dual timelines here, but overall, I think this would lean a little bit more historical fiction, especially for the primary timeline. It starts off in Birmingham in 1929, where you have Robert Lee Harrington, who is a master carpenter, just moved to Alabama for a job. And he brought along his pregnant wife and young daughter. Birmingham, Alabama is in its heyday. It's known as the Magic City, 
for its booming steel industry. And while Robert and his family find a lot to enjoy, it's also a stronghold for the clan. And with his beautiful, light-skinned wife and nice car, he's worried that he's drawing the wrong kind of attention. And then in 2019, you've got Megan McKenzie, who is the youngest reporter at this newspaper in Detroit. And she grew up hearing lore about her great-grandfather's murder, but no one knows the full story of what happened back then, and his body was never found. So she becomes obsessed with trying to find answers to her family's long-buried tragedy, and spurned on by the urgency of the Black Lives Matter movement, she travels down to Birmingham and starts to investigate and uncover dark secrets. And then she starts to wonder if her life might be in danger as well. And it said this one is actually inspired by true events. And I am so interested in this one. My husband's family, his mom grew up in the South and then moved to Michigan as well. So I was like, oh, you know, it's that part of that great migration. I am really interested to see. Oh, I hope this is, gosh, it, it sounds like it has a lot of potential. So I just really hope mm-hmm. it goes well. This is not the author's debut. She actually writes a lot of crime fiction. So this, I, I have high hopes for it. Anyway, it's Time's Undoing by author Cheryl Head, and it comes out on the 28th. Okay, good. Well, we have eight really great options for February. I think all Mm -hmm. those sound good. Let's talk before we say goodbye. Let's talk about our current reads. What What are you bringing as your current read today? I am bringing What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall, and I dig it. It is my... Very favorite, super niche subgenre. You know the one. It's about friends who do something bad as children and come back together Mm -hmm. as adults for a reckoning. I cannot get enough. So this one, there was three girls when they were 11 years old. They get attacked. One of them specifically gets stabbed a lot, actually, by this person. And their testimony helped put the serial killer behind bars. And this is in the synopsis. But they're lying about something, and we don't know what. But things are coming back to the surface now that they're adults. I'm listening to it, really, really enjoying it. It's reminding me a bit of All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham, which I also really liked. So I hope that I hope to come back with a with a solid review on this one sometime soon. This was What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall. Okay, good. All right. My current read is The House of Eve by Sidiqua Johnson. And this one comes out February 7th, so another February release. This is a novel set in 1950s Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. So you have two characters that that we're following. One in Philadelphia is 15-year-old Ruby, and she is on track to become the first in her family to attend college. She wants to be an optometrist and Despite of having a mother, a mother who is more interested in keeping a man than raising a daughter. Oh, no. I know. It, and so I really, really like Ruby. And then there is a taboo love affair with, with Ruby and someone else that threatens to pull her back down into poverty and cause her to not achieve her dream of attending college. And then in Washington, D.C., you have Eleanor. And Eleanor has ambition and secrets. She ends up meeting a handsome guy named William at Howard University. They fall madly in love, and they start a relationship. And William hails from one of D.C.'s elite, wealthy Black families. 
and Eleanor does not. And William's parents are really not on board with him dating her or having any sort of relationship with her. And eventually things may happen in, in to either destroy them or bring them together. Eleanor is very determined that to be a mother in her life. So that is part of the story. Now, the interesting thing is, is at one point, Eleanor and Ruby will have their stories collide. And I love when that happens. Mm-hmm. And so far, I'm listening to this one. The audio is great. And I am equally invested in both characters. So I love, I love when that happens. And I love that so far it's not short chapters. So I you get time to get to know each girl before you go to the the other city and then the other girl's story. So I stay tuned. I'm going to probably um, be bringing this back to the show and I will let you know how it all goes. It's The House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. That's definitely on my TBR too. I can't wait to read it. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc. And me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Renee, I want to come over. I want to come I back know. to your house and hang out and have Timbits <laughs> and hang out in the basement. I would love it for you so to fun. do that.